0: opponents are calling it a gag rule advocates call it the truth in advertising law back in the spring connecticut lawmakers passed a bill that would target deceptive messaging from crisis pregnancy centers these centers are run by faith-based groups that try to steer women away from abortions but The new law in Connecticut prohibits them from using deceptive practices such as posing as doctors or distributing misleading information about abortions. Now one of these centers, they say, is fighting for their First Amendment rights. This is And Another Thing. I'm Dara Kennedy.
1: I'm Maya Schwader. According to Narrow Pro-Choice Connecticut, there are 25 pregnancy centers in the state and one mobile van. One of these is CareNet, the pregnancy center at the center of the lawsuit. The Alliance Defending Freedom filed the suit on their behalf. They say that not only is this infringing their free speech rights, but that there is already a law in Connecticut that would prevent these deceptive practices. Joining us now is Denise Harley. She is senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF. Welcome to the show. You have a lawsuit against the Attorney General of Connecticut that says that CareNet, and I'm paraphrasing here, is banned from communicating freely. What is it about the CareNet message that's being restricted? We do. So the state of Connecticut passed a law that
2: bans certain, as it's labeled, deceptive speech, or practices by only by pro-life pregnancy centers if they don't provide or refer for abortion. Unfortunately, the law is written so vaguely um, that it gives unbridled discretion to the government officials, like the attorney general, to enforce it against the sorts of truthful, commonplace messages that CareNet has used. So just as an example, the attorney general has gone on the record on news shows saying that a violation of this law would be if CareNet said something like, pregnant, need help, in an advertisement. Um, and that's the sort of thing that CareNet says all the time to try to reach the pregnant women who are in need to offer the free support services. And so, because of that um, danger of a $500 fine for um, almost anything that CareNet says that the Attorney General doesn't like, we filed a lawsuit under the First Amendment.
1: So there is also this act on the books called the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act. The ADF has argued that this act already has things like deceptive messaging covered. The attorney general has said, no, it isn't. That's why this new law was necessary. Is there not an argument to be made that if Carinette was following these guidelines, the new law wouldn't have been put in place in the first place? Um, Well, that's definitely not the argument because... After year after year after year, the
2: legislature has tried to pass um, this bill and they've finally been successful and they've not introduced one piece of evidence or one testimony from a single woman who's been deceived by any pregnancy center in the state. So um, definitely there's no evidence of a problem or that the law is necessary. But to the contrary, um, CUTPA actually is an even-handed across-the-board law that regulates deceptive advertising. CareNet has no concerns with that. Um, What we do have a concern with is that our particular pro-life viewpoint is being singled out so that pro-life nonprofits are subject to additional restrictions that give the attorney general even more leeway. Um, And unless the attorney general has changed his position, he has actually said um, for the past two or three years that he doesn't know whether or not CUPA covers nonprofits.
1: So as a result of the law that you're challenging, has CareNet altered any of these, any of its usual practices or language?
2: Um, we are, I think Care has been really concerned about um, its advertising. I don't know that they have changed any of the messages yet, um, but it's a, it's a hesitancy. So every time they post something, it's a possibility that there's going to be a, a demand letter from the attorney general who can immediately um, drag Care Net into court.
1: Well, its website it contains many claims that critics are considering false advertising. Has has it altered any any of these messages that have been considered false advertising?
2: Karenet feels that everything it has said is truthful, Um, even those things that the attorney general claims are deceptive. And so Karenet is going to continue to reach out to women and offer their free services in the same way that they have been doing.
1: So part of the background of this is looming in the background of all of this is, of course, this new law that was passed in Texas, Senate Bill 8, that has put severe restrictions on abortions in Texas. Is that part of what has spurred CARENET and the ADF to take this up? Um, I don't think that's in the background, and I don't think that's related at all.
2: In fact, that came about After the fact of when this law was passed, and we knew as soon as this law was passed, we were planning to challenge it. In fact, way back in February, I testified in the legislature against this bill. Um, This bill doesn't have anything to do with abortion. It's about free speech and the fact that the government can't target certain speakers who have certain viewpoints for different kinds of speech restrictions. With tolerance and good faith in America require people of all different viewpoints to be able to share their opinions and beliefs and offer their services without being targeted for government
1: punishment. So, no, I don't see any link at all. Denise Harley is a senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
0: With 1,100 locations around North America, CareNet pregnancy centers reach thousands of consumers. The lawsuit filed against Connecticut on behalf of CareNet claims, as we just heard, Connecticut's new law bans CareNet from communicating freely with the individuals it serves and those that it wishes to serve. It's also seeking a court order to block a declaration that it violates free speech and freedom of religion guaranteed under the Constitution.
1: Wrapped up in the ADF's challenge in the new Connecticut law that we mentioned previously is CUTPA, which is designed to prevent misleading marketing. Under this new law, which was passed in the spring, Connecticut Attorney General Tong's office will investigate complaints and impose
0: a fine to centers found in violation. We now welcome in Connecticut Attorney General William Tong, who is being sued by the Alliance Defending Freedom. A.G. Tong, we know that you are a defendant in this federal case where the ADF cites a violation of the First Amendment. We know that you can't speak directly to the details of the lawsuit, but how is the First Amendment being defined in this instance?
3: So um, thanks for having me out to talk about this very important issue. And basically, the point of this statute is to protect people, particularly young women, um, who might be pregnant and might be considering what um, her options are to make sure that, that they're not lied to, that they're not deceived, as uh, they make a very important decision about what to do with respect to their health care, their health, and their pregnancy.
0: What is that Connecticut law?
3: So uh, frankly, it's a, a very simple law and a very simple statute that provides that um, we here in Connecticut will protect people from getting lied to. That's known as the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act or CUTPA. Every state has a law like CUTPA. Connecticut has a particularly strong law, it's called CUTPA, and it gives me broad authority to protect people, again, from being deceived or lied to, or to protect them from being victims of fraud, for example. All of us as American citizens and citizens of the state of Connecticut have a First Amendment right to free speech, of course, and that protects what is generally known as as political speech at the core of the First Amendment, right? If we want to go out to the town green and and talk about public policy uh, matters that affect us in our community, we have every right to do that. What you don't have the right to do is to say whatever you want under any circumstances whatsoever without regard to what happens to other people. Right. We all know from high school civics, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater and cause a panic and put people at risk. That's not protected by the first amendment. What's also not protected is lying to people, deceiving them when you're marketing something.
0: So the question is attorney general Tong, what is the actual lie?
3: Well, the lie, of course, that people are trying to protect themselves uh, against, and that I am charged with protecting people against, is when somebody's marketing some service, uh, in this case, uh, when they're marketing around so called crisis pregnancy centers, they have to tell the truth. You can't shade the truth where maybe you have some argument, right, that you haven't actually told a lie. But it's so shrouded in fraud and deceit that, you know, a regular person, a reasonable person wouldn't be able to tell the difference and and they could find themselves deceived.
0: Unpopular speech is still protected speech and it all falls under the First Amendment. How is it that this has continued to pass on the Supreme Court for many years?
3: Well, a unpopular speech is, particularly speech around public policy issues, political speech, is at the core of the First Amendment. Um, and, and I'd be the first to say that it's my job and the job of every other attorney general and every court in this country and lawyers broadly to honor um, uh, free speech and to honor the First Amendment and to do everything we can to protect it. Um, I don't believe that this statute impairs the First Amendment. I believe that courts and the U.S. Supreme Court would agree because it's not controversial that you can't say whatever you want at any time for any purpose whatsoever without regard to the consequences. That's always been the law. And so in many ways, this statute rests, frankly, on, on the surest of constitutional footing. Uh, the legislature wanted to make sure that COPA protected everybody, in, including pregnant women, and including pregnant women that are considering what to do in the event of an unwanted or unexpected pregnancy. And we wanted to make sure that they had the full protection of law to make that decision without the interference of, of other people who don't have the right to interfere and without fraud or deception. And I supported that statute and it passed, and I'm going to enforce the law.
0: The ADF has won 13 victories at the Supreme Court since 2011. As we fast forward to right now, how much of this do you think is a part or a reaction to the Senate Bill 8, the Texas abortion law?
3: So I can't speak about the specific case, but I I will speak about Senate Bill 8. Let's just be clear. I was born in 1973, the year Roe v. Wade um, was handed down by the Supreme Court. So I, and women of my generation, I'm 48 years old now, have only lived in a country and in a world in which reproductive health care and freedom was a woman's choice, and abortion is safe and legal. We continue to hope here in this country. What Texas has done is is an offense to the Constitution, allowing um, people that, that might be our neighbors or someone down the street to turn themselves into vigilantes and to sue other people in their community, their neighbors, for exercising their constitutional right uh, to consider their own healthcare options and potentially have an abortion.
0: Connecticut Attorney General William Tong, thank you for joining us on And Another Thing. Thank you, Darren. After the break, an expert on the First Amendment will help us better understand where the line is between free speech and, as this law claims, deceptive practices. Stay with us. The following is a re-air of And Another Thing.
1: This is And Another Thing. I'm Maya Schwader.
0: And I'm Dara Kennedy. We continue our discussion on alleged deceptive marketing campaigns and the Connecticut Abortion Center entangled in a federal lawsuit with the state's attorney general's office claiming the new law is infringing on the right to free speech. The First Amendment has been invoked a
1: lot this evening, opening up that age-old debate about whether, as the Attorney General mentioned earlier, it's okay to shout fire in a crowded theater. So for some clarity, we have an expert. Joining us now is Rob Birchie. He is a board member of the New England First Amendment Conference and a partner at Clarice Law. Rob, thanks for being with us this evening. First question, Maybe a big philosophical one, but what is the line between free speech and just being false?
4: Well, you just talked about the possibility of an easy breezy subject. You're right; <laughs> the First Amendment is not easy breezy in any way. Um, you know, it purports to say Congress shall make no law abridging your freedom of speech, uh, but in fact, Congress and government makes a lot of laws that abridge freedom of speech. Uh, as the Attorney General pointed out, you can't can't shout fire in a crowded theater. Actually, you can if there is a fire. Um, you just can't uh, cry fire if there's no fire and you cause a panic that way. There are a lot of exceptions to the First Amendment protections that are out there. Uh, and the Supreme Court has said pretty clearly that lies are not unprotected under the First Amendment. In other words, the First Amendment does uh, protect uh, false speech as well as true speech for a couple of reasons, one being that in many cases, it's very hard to tell. But in another reason, as the uh, ADF mentions in its complaint, uh, if, if we know we're going to be punished if we go, over that line between the truth and falsehood and you're right it's awfully hard to figure out where some things are in, in between
1: mm-hmm.
4: um if we know that we're going to be punished if we go over the line we're going to stay far clear of the line right. in order not to even risk being punished
1: so you you mentioned that there are some exceptions. Our guest earlier on the show mentioned that a lot of the advertising that these crisis pregnancy centers put out say things like, pregnant, need help. Does that count as a lie in this case?
4: You know, the government routinely um, prohibits unfair and deceptive speech in uh, marketing. Uh, and as the attorney general pointed out, every state has something of its own version of cutback, saying you cannot uh, utter unfair and deceptive speech in the provision of a service or, or a product. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting to me, the uh, ADF ADF um, seems to admit that they are subject to that sort of marketing, and I think part of their argument is simply if we are already subject to the general law that says in selling something and providing a service, uh, you can't use unfair or deceptive speech, why does there need to be a separate law saying, particularly when you're talking about abortion services? Now, Uh, you can't do unfair or deceptive speech.
1: The Massachusetts Supreme Court recently declined to enforce that state's unfair and deceptive practices act against a limited services pregnancy center. Do you think that this is going to set a precedent?
4: I thought it was an interesting strategic choice uh, that the uh, Pregnancy Counseling Center chose to say we do fall under the same regulations that say, that govern your supermarket or your fruit seller, or whatever it may be, um, I would have thought that they might be arguing the importance of political speech. And that seems to be a secondary argument uh, for them. In many ways, we have two regimes in this country. We say political speech is very, very protected. But unfair or deceptive speech in the advertising or commercial context has always been regulated, and nobody seems to question that.
1: Rob Birchie is a board member of the New England First Amendment Conference. Thank you for being here.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: We turn now to look at some new arrivals in our community. Each week, a few more families from Afghanistan find new homes here in New England. CAI's Daniel Ackerman introduces us to a family who's getting used to life on the coast in the Massachusetts city of New Bedford.
5: Let's see if it's good or
6: not. In the crowded kitchen of a small second story apartment, Parkanda Esan pops open a pressure cooker to check on the beans. She's making them in what she calls Afghan style.
5: Tomatoes, ginger, garlic, salt.
6: Across the room, her three kids wait for dinner. They play video games on their mom's phone, and the youngest climbs onto the table for an impromptu dance performance.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Isan says she's grateful for these light-hearted moments because they've been hard to come by. In recent months, her family has spent most nights sleeping in tents on military bases in Qatar, Germany, and El Paso, Texas. They finally arrived at this apartment a couple weeks ago. Her long journey from Kabul to New Bedford started one morning back in August, but she didn't realize it at first.
5: When we woke up, everything was normal. Uh, my husband left for his job, and kids left for their school.
6: Esan worked for the U.S. government's Agency for International Development. She helped train Afghan women to be journalists. Around 10 a.m. that day, Esan got a call from her sister-in-law.
5: And She told me that uh, Taliban has came. I said, what are you saying, uh, joking? She said, no, 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 just go and check.
6: She flipped on the TV to learn that the Taliban had captured Kabul. Panicked, she tried to call her husband, but she couldn't unlock her cell phone too nervous to remember her passcode. She said her neighbors all across Kabul were feeling the same anxiety.
5: The people were very much afraid of Taliban. So everyone was hopeless that, oh, they have conquered the whole country, now what? What will happen with our school, with our education, with our economy, with our culture? Mm -hmm. We don't know the answers.
6: 10 days later, the US military offered her family a flight out of Kabul thanks to her work with the US government. The banks had all closed, so despite her well-paying job, Esan took off with no money, just six gold bracelets around her wrist. Last month, her family was at a camp in El Paso. Esan was teaching an English class to other refugees one day when she got the text, alerting them where they would be resettled long-term. The place name was unfamiliar, Massachusetts, and that's when the Googling began.
5: The first thing I searched was the map where is Massachusetts situated?
6: She was glad to find it on the same side of the country as Virginia. Esan has a sister there. Her family spent their final days in El Paso glued to the internet, reading up on their future home state.
5: It has a good economy. The best schools are here, So and the housing, that it's very expensive.
6: Arriving in New Bedford has meant at least a touch of normalcy. Esan could finally cook her own food for the family after months of being fed military-grade boiled eggs for breakfast.
5: And the thing that was very, very happy for my kids, the, the night we arrived, the morning we got up, so they were saying, Mom cook us egg on our own style.
6: That's fried with a runny yolk.
5: <laughs> so that was the egg I cooked for them. They were very, very happy for that.
6: <laughs> Ehsan's husband found work at a warehouse, and Esan is looking. In the meantime, she's helping her family settle into New Bedford, with trips to the playground and a visit to the local mosque plus taking in some of the city's signature sites, like the waterfront.
5: We have seen the fishing boats. My kids have been asking, what are they?" I said, this fishing, so can we take that? I said, one day. One day we will take one of it (laughs) and we will go for fishing. Mm -hmm.
6: Five families who fled Afghanistan this summer have now settled in New Bedford. More are waiting to come, but it's been hard to find housing. Isan says she plans to start a mutual aid group to support other Afghan refugees. For now though, she's taking things one step at a time, like getting her kids registered for school, while also keeping them connected to their homeland through their first language, Dari, which she also calls Persian.
5: To be very honest, I told them, you learn English at your school, but you're at home. You try to speak in Persian, so you don't forget your own language, because it will help them again. I hope we can have a time to move back to our country, be in the country, see our country, so they should not forget their own language.
6: (laughs) She says that hope is what keeps her going as she begins building a life here in New Bedford. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Daniel Ackerman.
1: That's it for this edition of And Another Thing. I'm
0: Maya Schwader. And I'm Derek Kennedy. We hope you'll join us again.